Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Calling all small business owners, creatives, artists, makers, coaches, and healers, we are looking for badass entrepreneurs who are ready to level up their biz game while making lasting connections. So our Level Up Academy is a six-week creative cohort for creatives and small business owners. So whether you're new to the small business game or a veteran, this course is designed to give you the tools you need to refine your business practice, create the life you want, and build relationships that you can lean on. So really excited to offer Level Up again. Week one, we talk about audience, brand story, and elevator pitch. Week two, tools to get organized and mental health. I believe this is a very important part of your business journey. So we want to create tools for all sorts of things, right? Longevity, balance, optimizing, et cetera, right? If you're, if you're familiar with the podcast, you know that it's something I really, really value. So week three, brand identity and style guide. So all about curating your brand. Week four, we'll talk about content categories and types of content. So this is all about Instagram strategy. And yes, we will talk about reels as well and how they fit into your content categories. Some people call this pillars. Week five, we'll talk about email marketing. Week six, we'll talk about showing up, creating network, expansion, and partnerships. So the first 10 signups get all six weeks of classes for $290. After that, enrollment goes up to $350 with the option to add on one-on-one coaching with me. So this is a fall exclusive. So we are no longer going to offer this twice a year. This will be offered once a year moving forward. It won't be available until next fall 2022, right? So if you've been feeling lost or unsure of how to scale your biz, Level Up Academy is for you. And we do have plans to about double this pricing for next year. So if this feels in alignment with you and this pricing feels good, then I would suggest hopping on now. We will have payment plans as well available. So stay tuned for that. Enrollment opens September 6th. But if you want to snag that early bird discount, you can join the waitlist so you can be the first to know about it at girlgangcraft.com slash level up. And then the first class actually meets that last week of September. So we'll meet Monday nights. And of course, if you can't make the live, we will have things recorded. You'll also get access to our Facebook group. So yeah, that first week is September 27th and it goes for seven or sorry, six weeks. So that's that first Monday of November. This is, I feel very strongly about Level Up. This is a space that I love being in and our community members love being in. And it is truly a joy to watch your businesses flourish. We will continue to offer testimonial rights you can hear right from our community yourself but check it out growingcraft.com slash level up feel free to ask any questions to me directly i hope to see you there 
Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. Super excited today. We have Maria Spear Aulis on the podcast. Maria is an attorney bringing peace of mind to bloggers, podcasters, and online brands when it comes to IP production, contracts, and internet law. Her goal is to support female entrepreneurship by making the path to protecting and growing an online business affordable, understandable, and low stress. When she's not hammering away at a copyright issue or recording a YouTube video, you can catch her dancing to Hamilton with her toddler son, cooking with her husband, working on a house project, or hollering at her dog to get down from the couch. Hi, Maria. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I love the name of your podcast. I love your mission. I just, I I love your brand. Thank you so much. It's really nice. And I, you know, also love Hamilton, big musical theater (laughs) nerd over here. Actually, actually at the recording of this podcast today, I took my first musical theater dancing class in a really long time. So (laughs) yeah, getting right back into it. Yeah. But so tell us about what it is that you do, Maria. Yeah. So I help online business owners, whether it's kind of your traditional content creators or someone who is, you know, an expert in their field and is somehow turning that expertise into, you know, making money, whether it's on Etsy or with a community or membership and just online brands and retailers, helping those individuals protect what can be protected and kind of navigate doing business online so that they don't step into any legal troubles. And so how did you, you know, how did you arrive at this group of people that you wanted to help? So I was a music major in college. I studied voice and I knew that, you know, as, as the end got closer and closer, I didn't want to live that, you know, constant audition lifestyle. So I started thinking about what else I could do. And this will date me a little bit, but iTunes was like kind of new then and Napster was a thing and illegal downloading of music. And so I thought I'm going to help my musician friends and go to law school and help my musician friends, you know, protect their, protect their rights. And so that evolved. I I did practice entertainment law for a little while after law school, but it kind of evolved into, I don't know, it's just, it's just a different world helping kind of a, your average creative entrepreneur navigate, you know, their ideas. And it's just so exciting because no idea is really the same and it's just different from the music world. So that's how I kind of, that's how I zigzagged my way into this niche. I love that. Wait, so are you, are you still singing for fun these days? I was, I was in a, the Nashville symphony chorus for a while just to kind of keep my, you know, keep my skills sharp. So yeah, a little bit. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So how did you arrive at this like specific facet of law though, to help tell us more about that? I mean, really, I want to say three years ago, four years ago. So we had moved for a little while. I'm located in Nashville, Tennessee, and we moved to Detroit for a couple of years to be closer to family. And I, you know, IP, copyright and trademark, that kind of thing is not really regulated state by state. It is a little bit, but it's more. Can you tell our users what IP means? Oh yes. Sorry. Intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, (laughs) IP IP is intellectual property, which is, you know, the rights to the kind of intangible parts of your business. And so because it's kind of federally regulated rather than by 
state, I wanted to, first of all, I just love, you know, kind of bloggers and content creators and podcasters anyway. It's just fun to work with that type of business. But also I wanted to kind of work in a niche that didn't restrict me geographically since we were moving. And so that's how I kind of got into it pre-COVID, believe it or not. (laughs) How has your business changed throughout COVID? Honestly, I have really always operated online. I have very few, you know, in-person meetings. Of course, it's it's harder to just build relationships, although that part has evolved a little bit too. Everyone's kind of used to Zoom and everything like that, but you know, the types of issues that came across during COVID were they, it definitely saw patterns and it was just a matter of, you know, part of what I do is educating people and getting getting people up to speed on some of these issues and how to handle them and and take the stress out as much as I can. So what would you say is your biggest clientele? Do you today mostly work with musicians or mostly bloggers? Or do you think it's like sort of across the board? No more musicians. When I went out on my own, which was about six years ago, I kind of said goodbye to the music industry. So yeah, I think content creators and online brands, online retailers, but kind of your smaller, you know, Etsy shops and things like that. Not necessarily your big, you know, corporations. So what do you find is the legal issue that you are working on the most with these creatives? That's a great question. I think, well, part of it is clearing up misconceptions or helping people to, I find that the highest kind of mental hurdle to get over is don't wait until something bad happens or something goes wrong to start asking questions and get like a working knowledge of this stuff. No one should, will have to be an expert. That's what lawyers are for, but just knowing enough so that, you know, if somebody's working on something with you, maybe they should sign this contract or, you know, knowing what's protectable about your thing, whatever it is that you're selling so that you can handle copycats if, or when that happens. So that's really at least the first step in what, whoever I'm working with, kind of figuring out what they have going on and prioritizing and educating around there. So these preventative methods, if you will, what steps can we take to, you know, establish our business and make sure some of this legal stuff doesn't happen? Let's, let's take like maybe a general tone, because I know that we have service-based people in our community and also product-based businesses. So maybe like what are some of the top few legal actions people can take to make sure that their brand is protected, their designs are protected, and they're protected when they're working with other people? Yeah, that's great. So I think first is kind of a mindset shift when it comes to contracts, because contracts make some people kind of tense up their shoulders. It can be intimidating to send or receive a contract. And it all comes down to the purpose of a contract, which is to make sure everybody's on the same page. That's it. It doesn't have to be, you know, very complicated. It doesn't have to be pages and pages long, but if you are a service provider, you want to, you want to make clear, you know, who's providing what service, when you're going to get paid, what happens if somebody wants to cancel? Those are kind of off the top of my head, you know, those big things. 
if you are selling something online, either digital or physical, you know, product, then making clear your return policy because those little terms and conditions that someone might have to check when they purchase something, that's a contract between you and your buyer. So making the return policy clear, all those kinds of things. So that's the first thing, I guess, kind of a mindset shift when it comes to contracts. And yeah. then when it, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, I think, I mean, my dad's a lawyer. So, so I also sort of understand the contract mine. And I think actually even helping write out a contract or even like what you would need in these things is actually a really good exercise to really think through these terms and conditions, right? Because, okay, if you just have sort of a general timeline to, let's say, a photographer and you're getting photos back to someone, like, maybe it'd be better to have a specific amount of date. So like all parties involved know when they're getting their photos back and when they're getting paid, or you said the return policy, that's very, that applies to a lot of our community, having a return policy, period. <laughs> Even having like a lost package policy, I think is something a lot of our creatives don't think about. And like, I was on the receiving end of a missing package for eight weeks, you know, and finally we had to establish that, you know, I paid for this thing and I wanted this, this thing in exchange for money. So, you know, we have to have these, we have to have these things thought out before we even come to the table. And I think creating that contract can be a really helpful exercise in figuring out what you even need to say to the other person. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And I think, you know, over the course of the last year, a lot of in-person, anyone in the in-person event industry had to I mean, pivot, but also there was the whole cancellation thing and who has the right to cancel and what happens if, you know, you mentioned photographers or florists or calligraphers or anyone, you know, kind of in that industry who has the right to cancel, what happens if we change the date? And it helps, I think, too, even if someone's not at the point where they're saying, okay, I want to hire a lawyer to create a contract for me. Think through those things. You know, if you've been doing business for a few months or years or whatever it is, where have things gotten stuck or has there been miscommunication anywhere? Making that list to set so that you can say, okay, these are things that I need to make sure are clear when I'm entering into, you know, a relationship with somebody. So can someone write their own contract or do they need to hire a lawyer for that? <laughs> I think you can. I think it's better to have something than nothing. I think that also, once you get to a certain point, you probably want that peace of mind of, okay, someone has looked over this and made sure that it makes sense and is legally legit. So I certainly wouldn't say that you can't write your own contract. It's just that, yeah, like I said, we do what we do for a reason. And so just getting it blessed, so to speak, and making sure the I's are dotted and T's are crossed is always a good idea. That makes sense. Okay. So I interrupted you because we were talking about contracts and then there were other things that you were going to talk about to help establish yourself as a brand and protect yourself. Yes. So, and I kind of see that happening in three areas. So we talked about contracts and next is copyright and copyright is protection for creative works, which of course is music and video and art, but now is also things like online course content and worksheets and a downloadable PDF freebie and all of these things that are so normal now in our online culture. Instagram captions are something that the Copyright Office now allows you to register with the Copyright Office because those get ripped off. 
That's wild. Um, yeah. So all of those things are your creative content, whether it's you know technically text or photo or graphic design, whatever it is. And so there are some misconceptions too around copyright. There's this myth that you have to mail yourself a copy to have protection. That's not true. Really, you have protection the moment that it is more than just an idea. It's living outside of your head. It's written out or recorded or in some kind of more tangible medium, right? And it helps too to remember that an idea by itself is not protectable, but whatever you have done to flesh out that idea, to make it unique, that's the protectable part of a business. So, you know, a if you have an idea for a course on growing your email list, well, there are tons of courses on that. So what makes it you? It's the branding. It's the actual content in the course. It's maybe the videos. It's any worksheets that you create. Those things that reflect you and your tone and your brand and your voice. Those are the protectable parts of your creation. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's copyright. And of course, there are you can register things with the copyright office, but you don't have to. You don't have to have it registered in order to have protection. Like I said, once it's kind of created outside of your head, you have some protection in your creative work. So the third area, like I mentioned, is trademarks. And that is your branding, basically. It's, you know, the name of your business or the logo reflected on the header of your website or on your hang tags for your goods. That's that's what we're talking about when we're talking about trademark. And again, in the US at least, Registration is not required. You know, it's not like a prerequisite for protection. The moment you start using that trademark in connection with your service or your products, whichever apply to you, you have some rights. Now, they might be geographically limited unless you get that registration, but those are kind of some big common misconceptions when it comes to copyright and trademark. You don't have to have a registration in order to have rights and some protection in those things. And so trademarks and copyrights, they're both federal, right? Yes. You can have a state trademark if you're you know, not operating basically outside of your state. So can you get a global trademark? You can. Okay. You have to kind of register in each country. There's no... Okay. <laughs> in every country <laughs> in the world. Okay. Right. Okay. Interesting. And then could you touch upon fictitious name statement also? Oh, Yes. A bit. So fictitious name is, that's kind of a state, it's like a DBA and different states call it different things. You might, your state might say assumed name, fictitious name, but basically if you are an LLC or even a sole proprietor, if you, if you haven't formed an LLC or a business entity yet, you can file for a fictitious name or assumed name so that you can do business as that name and open a bank account in that name and receive checks, you know, under that name. Hey, small biz owners, we'd love to work with you. We are currently offering six partnership tiers for small businesses in our community that will help you boost exposure and tap into our our diverse audience of small biz lovers. Our options are varied to meet your needs and include newsletter features, Instagram story takeovers, and podcast commercials. So this is a great opportunity to partner with us before we launch our applications for our 2021 holiday gift guide on September 29th, save the date, for our pricing sheet on our community partnership offerings, 
email us at hello at grogancraft.com. So especially if you want to hear about your business here on the podcast, we'd love to offer some podcast commercial slots for you all. So again, if you have any questions, if you want our pricing sheet, you get a special price as a small business. We don't offer the same prices to you guys and some of our big partners. So they are discounted community partnership rates. Email us at hello at grogancraft.com if you want to hear about your business right here on the podcast. So that also has like a little bit more protection about rather than not doing trademark and not doing anything, right? It has a little bit more protection. It's definitely, yes, a step in the right direction. Okay, cool. Okay. And so why, why would we do any of these things? Why, why would we get trademarks? Why would we get copyrighted? Well, are you saying why register or why kind of take these steps? Why take those steps? Yeah. Well, what it really comes down to, I think, is your mission, for lack of a better word. I used to do work with a lot of nonprofits, for example, in that industry, you know, it was kind of common. Well, we don't care, you know, if someone uses our stuff, we, you know, everyone's happy and we want to share and whatever. And that's noble and fine and good, but in the hands of someone whose views or mission doesn't jive with yours or maybe conflicts with yours, that's when you start, you know, getting into a problem. And I just, I just believe that the product of your intellectual, you know, output is something that's uniquely yours and so deserves protecting because especially online brands and personal brands, we're so interwoven with our businesses that it becomes a part of you, whether you intentionally or not. And so that's to me worth protecting. And so how expensive are these processes? How much does it cost to get a trademark? So trademark is more expensive on the federal level. What's required is you have to show that you are using it in connection with a specific product or specific service, and you can list out multiple, but they have this kind of categorization system. So, and things are kind of lumped together. So if you sell clothing, for example, you have to list out t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, whatever, but they're all kind of in the same category. So that's one filing fee for that category. They're called classes. And that's $250 per class. Whereas copyright is much less expensive. And there are kind of options depending on what you're registering. For example, there's an option to register 50 photographs in one application. There's also, like I mentioned, kind of the Instagram caption application where you can register 50 at a time. You can do 50 blog posts at a time. I want to say that filing fee is $65 or $85. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but you get 50, you know, entries, so to speak, that you can list in that one application. So depending on, you know, the nature of someone's business, if it's really photo heavy, if it's blog heavy, you know, you have options for protecting that stuff and getting yourself a little more protection than if you didn't have something registered. And so, okay, let's go into the maker world a little bit. Let's say someone has like a bunch of unique designs. Let's go for like, you know, a print artist. Do you, which should they get all of their prints like copyrighted? Is that something you think? That's a great question. And something that I get a lot because especially with, I mean, like you said, a printmaker, you might have 300, you know, different designs. And is it worth it to register all of those things? 
So that's when I say, you know, take a step back, maybe look at your back end, look at what's sold the most, if there's something that's been copied a lot, and pick your top, you know, one third. And I would say probably those are what you really want to focus on registering. You don't necessarily have to register every single little thing because that can add up. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what happens if someone, you know, copies your design? I mean, and like, okay, a couple different situations, like, you know, what if it's another small business? What if you're copyrighted? What if you're not? And what if it's like a big business? How do you fight that? I know that there's a lot of talk, you know, in our community about things being stolen and maybe we'll start there and then we can break down like, what does it mean to be stolen? Because I think that's an interesting topic also. Yeah, sure. So first, if it's a big corporation, I will always encourage someone to at least talk to a lawyer and see what your options are, because there can be kind of this, you know, when someone is copied, and knock on wood, it hasn't happened to me exactly, but of course it's happened to some of my clients. I've seen, you know, you feel this, there's like a mix of imposter syndrome mixed with, you know, just this anger and a little bit of fear. Like, what do I do? And when, especially when it's a big, you know, corporation and people think, well, maybe it's not worth it to go after them. I have, represented clients against some of these big corporations and nine times out of 10, it's worth it because they respond. And it's almost like a PR issue for them also, because they don't want to be known as a copy, you know, a copycat. Yes, a 100%. <laughs> so it is worth it. Even if you think that you're, you know, a small fry, talk to somebody first before saying it's not worth it. And then in terms of, okay, so if you're copied, you know, what happens and if you're registered, it makes a difference whether you're registered or not. So if it's another small business owner, you have options and kind of my little cascade of options is first you can try and contact them yourself and say, you know, here's what I own. Here's what you're doing. Stop or or take it down or repost it with credit or whatever it is that that would satisfy you, you know, to kind of squash it. Then there's takedown, and then there's a takedown protocol if it takes place on a social media site like Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. They all have sometimes it's called a copyright policy. It's technically a DMCA takedown notice, but you can input information about your work and what you own. And then you input information either via a link or whatever it is to the infringing post and then Instagram or whatever the platform is should take it down on the trademark. If it's a brand name on the trademark side, a lot of times they'll, they will require a registration or proof, some kind of proof that you own what you say you own. So that's a factor there. But so we've talked about contacting someone yourself, the DMCA takedown, there's always a cease and desist letter. I do recommend getting an attorney involved at that stage because it's good to point out, here's what the law says, here's what you would be on the hook for, you know, kind of, there are ranges of cease and desist letters. It doesn't all have to be like fire and fury, but like I said, there are ranges of that that you can put into a letter. And then there's filing a lawsuit, which I usually recommend sending a letter at least first before filing a lawsuit, but that's always an option too. 
The difference in whether you have something registered or not when you're going after a copycat comes down to this. If you have something registered with the Copyright Office and it's copied, under U.S. law, you automatically get your attorney's fees and you would get what's called statutory damages, which is at least $750 up to $30,000, depending on how bad the infringement is, right? So you're guaranteed something, some kind of dollar amount under the law, plus your attorney's fees. So if you have to pay an attorney to send a cease and desist letter, you have every right to ask them to pay your attorney's fees for that. It also kind of jolts somebody when you receive a letter like that, knowing that it's registered, because if it does go to a lawsuit and they lose, then they're going to be on the hook for attorney's fees in connection with a lawsuit, which can be, you know, six figures. So that's one difference. If you don't have something registered and it's copied, you can still get something, but you're limited to what's called actual damages. And that's the infringer's profits. And they might not have any profits after, you know, business expenses and all of that. So that's kind of the risk is that they could have a lot of profits from the infringement or they could not have a lot of profits. I just talked for a really long no, time. No, <laughs> no, that's great. No, that's so fascinating to me. So, okay, a couple different variations. What happens if it's not clear who the perpetrator is? How do you, is there a way to find out? You know, like I know there's so much, you know, anonymous content online. How do you get a hold of someone sometimes? That's tough. I mean, social media, I would say if you're, if you're, if it's not clear who's behind it, Go to the platform first and see what they can do for you. Yes, even on something like YouTube, that's what I would suggest. Otherwise, I mean, if it's a blog, there's a resource called Who Is that shows you what a domain, who a domain name is registered to, who they're owned by. So you can kind of try and sneak if that information is available, pull it from there. That's cool. And then what happens? I mean, so since you've said you've had successful lawsuits with these bigger companies, do they often, well, I mean, do they, do they just pay out? Do they normally go to court? Do you have to, you know, sign an NDA with them? So in my experience, it has not ever gone to court. They, they have settled before that, you know, kind of in the letter stage. Yes. There's usually a payout. Yes. You have to sign an NDA. (laughs) It's wild because I mean, you know, I know people firsthand who've clearly had things stolen from them. I mean, they've sent things in and then they've said, no, thank you. And they make the thing anyways, you know, just straight up, but it's complicated. I think particularly, you know, particularly in the art world, when we are all inspired by similar things, there can be a lot of sort of pointing at different things. And even though we know someone did it originally. It's it's hard. Things can be borrowed. And I'm thinking particularly of like the textile industry. Those things are a little bit complicated. And also just, I mean, the print artist industry too, because yeah, I don't know. Any any thoughts on this? Do, do companies try and like skirt around and sort of, I don't know, <laughs> pretend that they really don't know what's happening? <laughs> I think they probably do. I think it's also... Like you said, and it comes back to what I talked about when it comes to ideas, you know, there are only so many ways to draw a heart or make a chocolate chip cookie or, you know, some of those things. And so that's why I say, you know, your unique expression is what's protectable. On the other hand, 
you know, when it comes to copyright infringement, what you're looking at is quote, substantial similarity. So is there substantial similarity between this unique thing that you've made keyword unique, right? And what has been copied? So sometimes it just depends on, you know, the exact thing, the exact situation, the facts around it. But yeah, I mean, it happens. It definitely happens. So let's change gears a little bit. You had talked about in your emails to me about music on TikTok and Reels. And I would love to hear more about that. I think it's complicated on the platforms too, because just talking to a friend today, all of our accounts are are set differently. They, you know, they seem to say that the business accounts don't have music, but then some of us do. And, you know, same on TikTok. And we all just want to make, you know, TikToks and reels with good music, but what are the consequences of that? And yeah. Yes. And I was so, I was so curious about this because I was all about TikTok for a while and it's fun. It's just fun, you know, putting, setting music to something, making a normal video a little more interesting. So I actually went in and looked at TikTok's terms of use and Instagram's terms of use, which are really Facebook's, right? So TikTok isn't super clear. They do say that if you have a, I think it's called a brand account, not a business account. They have content creator accounts and they think that brand accounts. So if you're a brand account, your music library is very limited to kind of this free, you know, royalty-free stuff. And the reasoning behind that is that if you create something that's like a commercial for a product, then the song owner absolutely wants a say or the owner of the recording of that song wants a say in where their music is placed for an advertisement. Now, when you're on that content creator account on TikTok, it's not as clear because you are a business, you're a business person. So can you use, you know, whoever, Lana Del Rey on your (laughs) TikTok? I would say because it's not 100% clear. My kind of rule of thumb is if you're doing something that's sponsored or actually, you know, actively promoting something, skip the music, use something safe. And certainly if, yeah, certainly if it's it's a sponsored post the rest of the time, I mean, I can't say absolutely. Yes. You can use any music that's on there, but it's probably safer than in connection with, you know, actual promotions. Now on Instagram, Facebook says, if you are using it in connection with the business, no music, period. But like you said, it's confusing because some business accounts have like that Spotify link and some don't. And some individual or some businesses operate on an individual account instead of a business account. And so on Instagram, I say, you know, music is even trickier. So just be careful there. Do you know if these artists are getting paid for having their music on the app? I do not know. And I assume since it's through Spotify, at least on Instagram, that something has been worked out. But TikTok, boy, that's a mess because people just upload clips, you know, of whatever song they want to use. And then it's on TikTok and everyone else can use it. Right. Totally. So could an artist potentially sue them if you use their work in tandem with your, whatever you're selling. Yeah. Wild. Okay. 
it just seems like very messy then because this app is allowing us to yes. do this so so yes. easily and it's very on messy. trend for everyone to do it. Yeah, wild. Okay, so how can someone, I guess going back a couple conversations ago too, you know, lawyers are typically expensive. What are ways that creatives can hire lawyers maybe efficiently or are there opportunities for low-income artists to have access to legal help that you know of? Or yeah, tell us more about that. That's a great question. So first, I know that here in Tennessee, I believe in California and in New York and in Boston, and I don't remember what other cities there's an organization called Volunteer Lawyers and Professionals for the Arts, or it might, some are called that, some are the Arts and Business Council, but basically for artists, musicians, whatever type of art, quote unquote, you work with, there are free resources. And even, you know, if you have a conflict or a legal issue or an accounting issue, they can match you with a volunteer lawyer for free. There are certain, they have to ask, you know, certain income requirements, but they're a great resource. And I can send you a link even to some of those organizations that you can put in the show notes. And then also, I mean, I, like I said, I try to do as much educating as I can around some of these concepts, just so that my clients have that working knowledge of how to spot little issues before they blow up into big issues and I think that even if someone can spend, you know, 20 minutes a month on learning something new and, you know, asking in Facebook groups doesn't count, but learning a little bit about these issues, because not only will it help to protect you, you will feel, you will feel a little more at ease knowing some of these things. And I think that, you know, the exercise we talked about where maybe you, maybe you're not ready for that full-blown contract, but think through the different facets of your business and how your relationship, how your relationship works with your purchaser. And just thinking through those things because yeah, it's 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 a legal issue, but it's also, you know, it will help to help you to run your business better and help you to do to focus on what you love to do. I love that. So how can people access you? Where can people find you? What sort of services do you offer our creative community? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Spear IP Law. I have a kind of a few different ways that people work with me. I have some kind of done for you contracts available available for purchase on my website. I also do one-on-one services, really your custom service contract if you're a service provider. And I can I also do just kind of a one-on-one, you know, give me all your questions and I'll answer them call to kind of set, you know, help you to set your business in the right direction or answer, you know, those questions that you've always wanted to know the answer to. And then copyright and trademark, of course, I help with that registration process and protecting those things as well. So people can just buy already made contracts from you and then just insert their own details. Yep. That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) That's so easy. So easy to use. Yes. Well, any last words for our creative community about legal and protecting themselves or staying on top of things? I think the last thing I'll say is, and we talked a bit about copycats, but like I said, it can bring up a lot of emotions. And the main thing that I want to say is don't let 
a situation like that stop you from doing what you do and doing what you love and creating because a copycat business is not sustainable. It's a sign of someone who has no imagination, who has no creativity, but you are a creative person. That's why you do what you do. So don't stop. I love it. Snaps for that. Super snaps. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Maria. This has been such a treat to have you on. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with our community. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.